0: Notebook.
1: Book about witchcraft. You're listening to the Whitewood Podcast, a show about mystery schools, the occult, and witchcraft. Would you like to have a look around? Why have you come to Whitewood? Well, because I'm interested
0: in witchcraft.
1: I'm your host, Nate. Come with us as we delve into the history, techniques, and backstories of these traditions and the people who practice them. Welcome back to the Whitewood Podcast. My name is Nate Driscoll. And uh, this week, I've brought on a friend that I've had for several years, I think. Um, This is my friend, Phil. Phil, introduce yourself.
2: Hey, Nate. Uh, My name's Phil. It's been a pleasure being here. I can't wait to get started.
1: All right. So um, what in specific would you say that your occult practice, how do you, how would you define yours? Because I know yours is a little bit different than mine, and that's one of the reasons that I wanted to bring you on, is to kind of contrast the different styles and, you know, take yeah. a look at it that way. Uh, definitely.
2: Right now, I would consider myself a spiritist, and I practice spiritism. Uh, but I've been studying occult and spirits and working uh, with magic, I guess, for 10 years, 11 years now. I think ever since... Funny, it was actually right before uh, 2012, the, the doomsday that happened. Oh, yeah, the ago. Mayan calendar the came Mayan, to an end. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: And, you know, I kind of took a leap of faith there. I was pretty agnostic or atheist at that yeah. point. But uh, a decade later, here I am, and I am don't look back. I would never change it, and I, I feel empowered where I am, and I feel... Blessed to be where I'm at right now.
1: Yeah, I totally understand that. Um, I also went through a phase of atheism. Um I think that it's actually a really healthy phase to go through. Oh yeah. You know, because if you're gonna uh if you're gonna spend some time where you're challenging certain types of religious ideologies and you're trying to find your own, um, a lot of times it you know, I I don't dissuade people from Breaking it all the way down to zero, and then building whatever you're going to build, or even just staying at that point. Like I think that it's a very healthy thing to uh, it was experiment one of,
2: with. One of the many books that I've read is uh, it was about doubt and the importance of having doubt. And I come from a scientific background from college, and really since birth, I've always been an analytical, logical kind of thinker. And to have atheism be part of my life was necessary to question everything that was brought to me. Uh, I grew up Catholic, Irish Catholic, and it was nothing severe or devout, uh, but my family definitely was and has been and continues to be, uh, and I enjoy having their spiritual practices in my life as well, which is kind of funny to say. I've, I've kind of found that Catholicism and Christianity in general has been um, pushed away from a lot of occult members and practitioners. But for some reason, it's actually empowered who I am. And maybe it is because of spiritism in general. But I uh, I don't dissuade from the Abrahamic faiths.
1: Yeah. You know, I've actually found... It's interesting that you say that. I have found the Abrahamic faiths to be worth exploring. I needed to step away from them for a period because uh, I was raised in a very religious house, very religious Christian house. And um, I went through a period where I was very angry about it. You yeah. know, I think that's pretty normal when you're like a teenager and you're trying to find your own way and you're trying to, you know, like challenge the things that are around you. So I ended up going through like a very angry at Christianity phase where I had like associated a lot of the mistreatment and the pain that I was feeling with uh that source but then like later and it took me a really long time to come around to it because i was having such like profoundly interesting experiences through other things whether that was like wicca or thelema or um paganism you know the norse tradition was really a big one come uh, for me coming up and uh so for a long time it was something where even just like the sight of it was a little offensive to me. like I was, I was Oh
2: yeah. I mean, I, I feel like it, there's, you know, centuries and millennia of prosecution between uh, Catholicism and Christianity and all the pagan religions in Europe and, you know, all the shamanistic religions and South America and Asia and Africa and all right. over the place that it seems that there was this big lie that was portrayed to humanity and, uh, I've always felt that Christianity was to blame for it. Um, I'm not really sure if that's the case anymore. Yeah. I feel like, uh, you know, humanity goes through phases and growth, just like individual humans. And Catholicism was one of those growth phases. And we, we can pick and choose from what works. And I think that it's important to not hold on to that anger and that hate and direct it towards someone else and blame someone else or something else. And really understand why you have that hate and why you have yeah. that
1: discomfort. Well, and like, I think that for me, a lot of it came from the maturity to recognize Fair. that, uh, the, the people that are doing the shitty things are also human beings. They make mistakes mm-hmm. and it, their their main motivation is, hey, I found this thing and it's valuable to me. I want to share that value with you. And while I still don't like, I still don't vibe with it. Like, it's not my thing. But I do think over the years I've come around to accepting that, you know, they're, they're a tradition. There's a lot more esotericism in it than they now admit. Mm-hmm. And so I've, I've found a lot of interesting things in like... Like ceremonial magic throughout the medieval and Renaissance period is a heavily pious and um, very related towards uh, Christian and Jewish concepts, and really that I mean it it extends to Islam as well. You know, there's there's a period where during that phase, everyone in the Abrahamic traditions is experimenting at least a little bit with things like astrology and. Um, like ceremonial magic systems. And and it's, it's a very interesting period that if I was going to continue to dive deeper, I had to like work through my own bullshit. I don't think that I would encourage people to like drop whatever they're doing and go do Christianity or, <laughs> Never, you know, yeah, like right? those <laughs> types of things. But like, there's definitely some value in like Kabbalistic systems or like the Solomonic magic or like those types of things that it really helps to not have a chip on your shoulder for, you know? And, and at I, some point I just came to the conclusion that like, these are, these are human beings who are trying to be nice to me and have a very, very, a very low level of understanding what that actually means and how they should go about it. And and often like cultural tribalism comes into play mm-hmm. and they, they act shitty because of that, but that, that doesn't like discount I don't know that their system could be potentially valuable. At least, I mean, at the very least, you can like, you can like look at them as a mythology that you don't believe, but that potentially holds certain types of ideas that might philosophically be yeah. valuable. That's kind of where I'm at with their stuff.
2: And you brought up an interesting point in the Middle Ages where Christians and Jewish um, Jewish people mm-hmm. are talking. about about and exploring the occult and more of the mystic feel. And I'm wondering if they were kind of in the same boat as us with having very doubtful thinkings of their upbringing and wanting to explore and dabble into other ways of perceiving the universe and the occult was just there for them. And so they were exploring it and adding to it and writing things down and passing it on to us in the 17, 1800s and giving us the new age occultism that we have today.
1: I think a lot of it comes into play when multiple cultures interact with each other. And, And I think that a lot of occult things in general come from multiple religious systems interacting with each other because they find similarities, whatever the similarity is, and so when cultures blend, like the, the example that I keep coming back to, like every time I do like a lecture or something like that, and I'm trying to show like the historical time periods where a lot of these things emerge, I, I keep coming back to the uh, the period where Egypt and Greece are united under a single empire nope. and are also controlling like Judea and like that whole side of the so world. So you're talking
2: about like after Alexander the Great died? Yeah, like A- after
1: Alexander the Great's conquest. Because like his his specific uh, exploits, uh, his conquests are are the period where like all these various different cultures and religious systems get like united. And then the next thing that happens is like, okay, they establish major Greek cities in the land of Egypt, which they are ruling, right? Mm-hmm. And so as well as that whole side of the Mediterranean, And so what ends up happening is like now suddenly like uh, there's a period in Alexandria where there's more there's more Jews living in the city of Alexandria in Egypt. There was multiple cities of Alexandria. It's so fucking frustrating. Interesting. I, yeah. I didn't know that. He, he's founded like 20 of them and only one of them was like successful. You know, he's like, I'm leaving my name on a city.
2: <laughs> you know 20 saying? of them to be exact. Yeah.
1: Right. It was crazy. <laughs> but so you've got like, you've got like more people, more, more Jewish individuals living in uh, Alexandria at the time than in Judea.
2: Wow. You've got
1: the entire Greek empire and the entire uh, Egyptian empire. That are also culturally in that city, you know. Mm-hmm. That's where you get like the Library of Alexandria. This like, you know, this like fascination with all of the information from all these cultures and trying to, you know, preserve and protect it all, right?
2: And, and yeah, and so the, it also brought in the Persian Empire and the Sumerian Empire, right? right. because they were there before, and so they're seen. It's a huge melting pot of culture.
1: Yeah, and pot. so then what happens is. It starts to happen first between the two empires that are now united under this, you know, under this Greek banner, of being like, oh well, you know, we have all these different names for gods, but some of the ideas behind them, some of the ideas behind these mythologies are similar, and it, and it it becomes really obvious if you start studying it, at least to me, that like a lot of occult ideas come from the mixing, because people go, oh wait, our mythologies are symbols of some deeper truth that's behind that and so that's a really interesting period but it kind of shows where a lot of these things like emerge from i think you know like uh they were finding during these periods that like there were even some gods that not only had really similar symbol sets but like one or two of them had the same name in both cultures because you know secret societies were like traveling all the way around and like a lot of, like... Um,
2: well, I bet they were talking to each other, too. It's like, oh, you're part of a secret society. I know I shouldn't be talking about it, but right. hey, let's have a beer and talk about this. Right. So like, they're mixing.
1: like Hippocrates, for example, mm-hmm. the, the Greek pronunciation, right? And Hippocrates was this, you know, god of uh, occult and secret information and those types of things, right? And when they united the empires, they found that Egypt was worshiping a, a god that was almost identical. It was called Horpar Krat, in The Greeks were calling him Horparkrates, <laughs> and that like he has all like to the point that like some of the statues are standing in the same posture, yeah. And uh, well, it makes me think
2: of are we just worshiping the same god,
1: yeah? And it, it like even to this day, I always wonder those types of things of like the underlying truth being more interesting than any one set of symbols,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know. And so, I mean. If I'm going to work under that assumption, which I do think is an assumption, you know, it's an exploration of symbol, then I have to at least be willing to dig through all the symbols, you know, and that includes the ones that are spooky to me. And that also includes the ones that I'm a little offended by because of my upbringing and like people being rude to me. And so it kind of turns into one of those things that I don't know. I think that it's valuable to just be open towards all symbols if nothing else To read through the mythology and see if there's similarities, you know?
2: Yeah, and there's something that's different between reading another religion and actually practicing that other religion. Absolutely, yeah. And to be able to understand another religion and uh, be able to empathize with the followers and the practitioners um, allows for growth of an individual, I think. Yeah. And it allows for growth in your own spiritual practice.
1: So... You touched twice now on this idea of growth um, and how, you know, it's been one of those systems that has been, you know, providing you fertile soil for said growth. What kinds of things have you noticed in your own growth? Like, what are the... What are the, uh, cause I mean, you also said, uh, a little while ago about, uh, kind of that idea of success, like if it works, you know, like use it, you know, Yeah. being open to that. So like what, what kind of successes if you had?
2: Well, I'm here right now. I'm, I feel like I'm a strong individual. I feel like I'm a courageous individual. I feel like I'm a, a person that does what he wants to do. Um, and I wouldn't say that about myself 10 years ago. I once said say that, yeah. like, that myself 15 years ago. I think a lot of uh, spiritual growth and uh, religious growth have to do with the embetterment of a individual person and indiv- individual soul and allowing them to do what they need to do in this lifetime. And I think that religion and spirituality allows the person to really find why they were born and why they need to be here on this world at this time, interacting with the people that they're interacting with. Um, And for me, uh, spirit, spiritism has given me the tools and the exploration to, uh, have empathy of other religions and tolerance of other religions and allowing me to interact with, uh, my ancestors, with my, with members of dead, human dead that I can, uh, that empower me to do the things that I need to do. Right. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think spiritualism is this idea of uh, giving the tools to better to better yourself and to interact with the world.
1: So, and like, the, like how are you better?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I, that's so hard to say. I,
1: Not I, better than others. I don't think that you're making that claim. Yeah. Um, it sounds like you're making a claim that you're better than yourself in the past. Correct. That like you have. Like, the metric is not, am I better than the people around me? I think that's a shitty metric, personally, and I do know people that fall prey to that. You don't come off as that. You What you come off as yeah, I think is it's... where I kind of find myself, which is like, hey, am I better than I was five years ago or ten years ago?
2: And I, I think that's the important metrics to to value your progress on is because when you start comparing yourself to others, they're on a different path than you. Yeah, Their goals are going to be different from you. Uh, you know, they could do two pushups and be great while well, you do one pushup and you're just mediocre. Um, it depends on who you are and where you are in a certain situation in life. Um, yeah, I, I think the, I, I guess what it comes down to is how you interact with other people. How do you perceive yourself and how do you portray yourself to other people? Um, Are you a kind person? Are you a good person? Are you a genuine person? Or are you a malevolent person? Are you trying to manipulate things? Are you trying to get your desire fulfilled through other people? Um, And that's something that took me a while to completely understand and actually put into practice is that, sure, I have my desires and my will. And will those desires hurt other people or they'll help other people. Yeah. And how do I fulfill my own needs and wants while interacting with other people? in a a kind good way
1: and and i think you're touching on like some of that ancient wisdom that's been around since forever and every religion claims that it's theirs but like i I don't think that it is because every time i pick up like philosophy from the classical period or like religious texts from you know 10 years ago they seem to be talking about a lot of the same things and i think you're touching on some of those things which is like you exist in a place where there are other people how do you fucking treat them What is your effect on the world? Like, you know, if you do an action, you know, does that make the world itself a better place? Do you alleviate pain for others? Or do you just, like, go out and try to get whatever's yours and you, like, you know, don't care who you stomp on in the process? And, you know, I I hear those types of things all the way back to, like, Marcus Aurelius and Seneca's work. And uh, all the way forward to, like, some of those, like, um, self-help people that exist today or like... You know, like priests and stuff like that. Today, you know, they all kind of touch on the same thing. I think you're tuning into a lot of that, and and I really agree with it too. Is like one of the growths that I've had over the years is the philosophical maturity to admit that I have an effect on the people around me, and if I behave in the way that I would like to behave, then, uh, and and if I make sure that I want the right things then my effect in the universe can be a positive one. That, like, I can help build up the people around me. I can help myself by being more in tune with a community. You know, to be surrounded by people that love me is way more beneficial to me than to have crushed everyone that ever came in contact with me and now I suddenly have all the what, the money and the cars and shit, but, like, no love, you know? Like, do you well, really want to live like that? I think it comes know? down
2: to that right there, is why are you doing magic and why yeah. are you practicing spiritism or why are you working with the spirits that you work with? And I think that right there determines where you are in your growth, where you are in your elevation. And because, you know, when I got into all this, I wasn't doing it to make other people better. I wasn't doing it to make other people Sad or, I I maybe some of my actions did make people sad. Maybe my other actions did make people angry. I was doing it for myself. I was doing it for my betterment. for For money. For yeah.
1: For the selfish things. For the
2: selfish things.
1: Which is there's a place for that. To be Mm -hmm. fair, like I don't want to completely discount that you need to have your own boundaries and you need to do some things for yourself. Like I don't. There's there's uh, there's something very real to be said about like if you go around and let everyone walk on you because you're going to be a people pleaser that you are doing a disservice to yourself as mm-hmm. well, right? I think both ends of the polarity are like are dangerous for you. You know, you should you should be willing to do things that make other people's situation better, but you should also be willing to draw lines between yourself and certain toxic individuals in order to make sure you're not walked on, you know? Like there's there's something to be said about that, but I don't know. Man. So it's really
2: being an adult in your practice.
1: Yeah, yeah. But like, okay, so the word adult is so funny because like I I, I discovered a lot of these things in magic, right? I just like energetically getting in tune with yourself it yeah. grows you up a little bit, you know, you become more mature and you become a little bit of an adult. Mature about. is a better word than adult because Either we're, we're adults
2: way. and there's a lot of adults that act like children and yeah. I, I'm one of those in a lot of situations. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I,
1: I make it, mistakes. It, yeah. Like
2: we all do. And to have that maturity in your spiritual practice, in your, in your life practice, in your mundane practice is... I, I feel where the growth and the elevation comes from that we're not out there slaying pussy and taking names and you know making a bunch of money with drug deals and stuff like that through our magical practices. Sure people do that and it and it works and it sustains their life practices but I don't know. I there's better things to do with my time.
1: Yeah. I totally understand that. Yeah. Cuz I went through a lot of phases where I was very destructive, man. And there really are just better things to do with my time. I'm a lot happier now, you know? Yeah,
2: well, then I think it was filling a void yeah. in myself that, uh, I didn't know how to fill with. And I thought those were the things that would fill it for well, me. Well,
1: And like the period where I was the meanest, the period where I was like the cruelest was also the period where I was in the most emotional pain. You no, know? like, you, you know, you, you mentioned avoid. And I think that there really is kind of one of those things where, uh, I, I went through a lot of stages where, I was hurting a lot of people uh, around me, not necessarily just off of this selfish desire to like get, you know, to acquire, but, but in a lot of ways, like I was trying to figure out how to fill this emotional hole and I was in a lot of emotional pain. And I think that's part of the process, you know, like if For you sure. look at like the, the seven stage alchemical process, okay, there's multiple stages that are destructive, you know, and that's not necessarily bad. Like you, there are points during an alchemical process where something needs to be kind of broken down in a way. You know, like you look at like, like calcination. Right off the bat, calcination, you end up like burning the thing. You know, and and that helps to purify and to separate out certain types of things that matter. You know, and then later fermentation. And you have, well, I mean, something you know? new can't
2: be born without an old thing being destroyed, and yeah. every end has a new rebirth. And I think that, sure, there are stages that we'd have to go through, and most humans probably have to go through that selfish phase. I mean, that's what childhood's all about, and the trauma that we occur during childhood is how we're going to fill that void in adulthood. Um, For me, it's been spirituality and uh, working with the occult that has made me understand my desires and understand those holes and really try to fill it in a more humane and ethical way to be very yeah that all makes sense peaceful i guess but uh you know sometimes there's there's a call for action there's a call for destruction and tearing something down um but it's very hard and that line is so thin and how do you how do you bring justice into your own hands and how do you enact god's justice yeah without destroying someone else's kid or their home
1: yeah absolutely all of those things are the considerations you know and,
2: and, and yeah and it's, so it's it's very you know philosophical and out there kind of idea um and i think it needs to be brought down to earth and have some you know very practical ways of enacting that that's the hard way of doing it and i don't know it's a it, Yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of
1: lost. No, you're good. You're good. Um, Okay, so you've mentioned spiritism. Um, You've mentioned occult practice as being things that, you know, created positive change for yourself as you define it. And I think that's one of the things that's really important with occultism in general is that uh, as you go through this adventure... And it's the greatest adventure available on earth. Yeah. I, I mean,
2: th- th- why would you want to do tr- anything else with your life? Why lungs? would you
1: do it? I think about this all the time where I'm like, I'm like, Oh man, I could have just ended up like doing none of this. Yeah. And, like that sounds so fucking boring. It's so
2: boring. <laughs> it, it really is. When I'm in, you know, in the middle of a circle, when I'm in a group of people that are practicing the same uh, tradition that I am, it, when I'm in a group of people that are, and I, or am I by myself working with my spirits and working with, uh, the the entities and energies around me you know you're alive in that moment and i think our society throws us out of the moment so often that spirituality and religion is the only way that i can find the moment
1: i i agree our society is really bad about probably one of the worst to have ever existed about taking us out of the moment on a regular basis and trying to keep us there
2: mm-hmm.
1: there's a million distractions all the time and
2: and the moment is where the power is where the action the is. moments where
1: the power is mm-hmm. yeah that's the moments where you have the opportunity to make changes as you see fit and i think that's why our culture does it you know like we're the prey in the system until we just choose to stand up and be the predator you know like it's yeah. But that's the
2: other side. It's yeah. so. Are you going to stand up and then be the predator?
1: Well, no. I just meant in the equation of you know. Yeah. Prey so there's only there's right?
2: only two options. You can be the prey or you can be the predator. There's
1: there's other options. I think. You can be the sheep dog. You know, you don't have to be the sheep. You don't have to be the wolf. You can protect the sheep.
2: But you're still herding them into. A you can be the
1: shepherd. Who just you know clubbing goes them and hangs up, out in his house, clubbing them over nice the head when they need day. a he needs a feed some stew, <laughs> yeah. Occasionally no, no. eats a sheep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now there's options. There's painting anything as black and white is definitely fair, fair, not, fair, not It's one of okay. those growth moments right there. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah There's there a lot of gray. there's one in real time, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> there's yeah. a lot of gray. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, what types of practices have you been doing that you found beneficial? Like if you gave like uh, a listener some potential thing that they might want to make a decision to try you know
2: I think it comes down to the the basic daily routines that you have in your life that when are you waking up how are you waking up what mm -hmm. are you doing immediately after you wake up are you saying thank you are you saying I'm glad I'm here are you saying it's going to be a good day are you saying, oh, I got to go to work. Oh, I got to take a shower. Uh, 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 uh. And so I, I think it's that in the moment, every moment, you're choosing to do what you want to do, what you're meant to do. And right. being happy about that, being good about that, being thankful and having that gratitude in your heart and and the forgiveness to yourself and everyone around you when you make a mistake or when you decide to wake up late or when you decide not to do anything that day.
1: So you think that a major component of it is discipline?
2: Discipline. Yeah, that's yeah. a good one. Um, something that's been fleeting from my practice is that discipline, but it's that um, I, I, to be more specific, I think it's the, the visualizations, the meditations, the holding something in your mind's eye, holding your body in your mind's eye mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. really understanding that you can practice something in the physical and you can do a bunch of math problems over and over again, but until you do those math problems in your head over and over again, and you can really see the numbers flowing with the equal sign and the division and the the multiplication and having that answer without even writing it down is so empowering to everything that you practice. Um, And that's very abstract, but you know, just look at a dot for five minutes every day.
1: Yeah. I I genuinely think that you're touching on some really powerful things, you know? uh So I want, I want to backtrack just a second to say one of the things that you touched on was this idea that like, that like life is precious, you know, you kind of, you kind of like uh, went about it in an interesting way where you were talking about like, Oh, you wake up and you're like, Ugh, I have to wake up or you know you can choose to appreciate that you woke up and like you're grateful and like those types of things and it, i i don't feel like a lot of people realize how many lotteries you had to win to be here oh yeah cuz like okay so like 99.999 repeating percent of matter of the universe is empty space there's nothing in it even the even atoms themselves are mostly nothing yeah right And uh, the fact that the space which you occupy happens to be the space that has matter, already a lottery of a billion to one, right? And then for that matter to be life, because most of the matter in the universe, to a very similar degree, is just dead rocks floating out in nothingness, right? So you won this billion to one lottery to be incarnated into like... Something that's alive at all. Yeah. But then like almost all life, as far as we understand, is single cell organisms. So like for you to have been a multi-cell organism, now suddenly you've won another billion to one lottery. And for that multi-cell organism to be like intelligent, to have evolved to a point where you're capable of consciousness and philosophy and mathematics and spirituality and those types of things. Now suddenly you've won another billion to one lottery. And you got incarnated into the period of time where there's like electricity and podcasts and the internet and, and like running water and running clean fucking water, dude. <laughs> Don't get me started on clean. Water. You, I've probably gone off on this bit when you've been over at my house before. Uh, yeah. But how important it is to live in a time period where you get free, like basically close to free access to clean water. You know, and you won this other lottery of like just how many how many nations exist on Earth and and have existed over you know time. So. And and you happen to be in one where you have you know the liberty to do certain types of spiritual practices and not be hunted down for them or to yeah. live in certain ways and not be hunted down. Not to say it's perfect. I don't think anywhere is perfect.
2: But that's humanity. Yeah.
1: And then and then so many people fall prey to reali- to the realization that they didn't win the last lottery. There's only one extra lottery, right? It's were you born inherently rich right and so many people forget that they won 20 billion to one odds in order to be here at all right now and focus their all of their energy on the fact that they didn't win the last one and it's like who gives a fuck if you won the last one you already won all of the things that are like you know able to leave you having this experience i like
2: that the last lottery did you win or did you not win yeah and that's so hard for people and for me, and and I get it because you know money gives you access to fresh water. I get it. Yeah, but I mean they've done studies, and you know you reach a, th- a certain threshold, and you just your happiness declines from there. But you know you still there's a threshold, and if yeah. you're not at, if you're below that threshold, then your life isn't as happy as people that are at that threshold. Absolutely, uh, and so yeah, having that gratitude even though you didn't win that last lo- lot of lottery
1: is hard. Yeah. It's, it's something that I continue to struggle with. You know, like I, like, I paint this picture of, like, all these lotteries and, like... But it, it's not like I'm, like, beyond that. Like, I also feel that sometimes. But I... Sometimes I just have to, like, zoom out and be like, Hey, you do realize that if you're thirsty, there's clean water, that you don't have to do anything to in order to drink. And that's not to say that everybody on Earth has that access. You no. know, there are definitely people... Like, there are people with internet access that have the potential... Should they choose to to listen to the show, right? That do not have as as clean access to water as we do, which is crazy to think about. It's just twenty first century. Information is is making its way everywhere now. Information
2: is more accessible than water is. It's an exciting time. It's
1: an exciting time. It is. There was some kid like I heard about this like I don't know. It was probably like fifteen years ago. There's some kid that had access to Wikipedia, but his town didn't have access to electricity. So he was riding his bicycle. It was in some impoverished nation in the uh, continent of Africa. And he was riding his bicycle to a nearby town to go to the library to get access to Wikipedia and then riding his bicycle home every day. And he self-taught the basics of electricity using access to free information on the Internet and then worked with other groups in order to get funding and brought electricity to his hometown via only the free information that was available to him on the internet, and now that village has electricity and access to the internet. And if you think of like the cascading effect of like, okay, well, if that's something that someone can do with the internet...
2: I mean, it's magical right there. It
1: is it is incredibly magical, right? If that's something they can do, now what happens to the, you know, 500 people living in that village that now have access to the internet? You know, like, how much can that bring the quality of life up? So, I, It's exponential. A magical time. And I,
2: and I think the potential of humanity, the potential of an individual person and their mind is, is godly. And with that ability, it really only takes the word and you know, you'll be hailed, you'll be saved, but you have to say it. And that, and I think that's kind of why I love spiritism so much. It, It brings in this like monotheistic religion, into this broader aspect that Catholicism and Christianity could can e- can never do. I mean, they do a little bit with the saints, but they give so much more energy to everything else that's out there. Uh, there's a lot of tolerance in spiritism where you can have, you know, the Hindu gods come in, you can have the African gods come in, you can have the Jewish gods come in, you can have the European gods come in. And they come in as these, you know, highly elevated spirits that, aren't God because it's monotheistic and God, there's only one God, mm-hmm. uh, but you can still work with them. You can still be that with them. You can still untune them and empower yourself through them, uh, which is bizarre to me. I've never really experienced uh, something like that before where it, it's complete tolerism, tolerance to everything else. Uh,
1: I think, I think it's way more common in occult traditions than it is elsewhere. I do see it in more than one source. No, that's uh, good to know. Yeah. Uh, tolerance for the sake of tolerance. And, like, for, for tolerance to be, like, an ideal, like mm-hmm. a virtue, you know? I th- There is some uh, aspect of that in other religions. Bro, for sure. Uh, not often lived to the same extent that I see in the occult traditions. And I think a lot of it comes from this, like, very realistic place, which is like, well, you know... All of society hates you as soon as you start doing occult shit. And then it, you're, like, surrounded by all the outcasts, you know? You're, like, you're like surrounded by all the people that, like, general society didn't want to ever exist. And they're <laughs> like, oh, fuck those dudes, because they insert whatever makes them different, you know? And it's, so it, it's, uh, it is interesting to watch most occult traditions be like... Well, I don't really give a shit what this old religion told us that we can and can't do. I say we, you know, include everybody. And, yeah, you know, I mean, tolerance a, for the sake of it's truth. a group of
2: black sheep, you know, and then the, it wh- is a group of black sheep. A, a white sheep yeah. comes in, and they kind of okay, yeah, I guess we can roll with that. Yeah, and, and then they do, and and the tolerance is good. Um, I yeah, and and I, so I think that having that ability to work with other entities and work with other spirits will allow. You know, you to find what works for you and what empowers you to do what you need to do every day to achieve your highest self, to tr- achieve your greatest goal and your passion in
1: life. And, and you define that, right? Like that's, that's the other thing that I only see in occult traditions is like a lot of people in other traditions are going to tell you what good means. Like they're going to define the word yeah. good for you. And good
2: is different for every individual. Good is
1: different for every individual. And so you can either like force people to accept your definition of what good means, Mm -hmm. or you can send them on the real adventure, which is, hey man, how do you define good? And like, (laughs) how are you going to seek that thing that Uh, becomes an adventure? I
2: I was having this conversation with a person about that, uh, where where you have this openness to what is good, Mm -hmm. and it's defined by that individual. And he kept on coming back at me with this idea that, that creates chaos and it creates something that's not tangible and it's creates yeah. something that is so etheric and abstract that it doesn't work for anyone kind of thing. but I just come back to him well, obviously you haven't found yours what yeah, your right. <laughs> And yeah once you do, you will not only die for it, you will live for it and it's that ability to live for something that, instead of just die for it, it's easy to die for something, but to actually live for it is something different.
1: Um, Well, and, and to, to define it yourself, I think is really healthy because then you get to look at the world around you and say, okay, I I do believe that tolerance is important. I'm not going to like tell other people how they're going to do their, their practice and their lives. And, but I, but I, I don't necessarily like that one behavior. And so instead of like hating on them, I'm just going to like, define what good means to me as not including that thing and then choosing not to act in that way. And then it also opens up this exploration of what is good that I that I have not yet interacted with. Like, you know, like in there's there's avoiding bad, but then there's also like seeking things that I that I don't do yet. Like, you know, one of the ones that I've been working on recently is um to be generous. Yeah. You know, like uh to that charity. Yeah. Whether it's like whether it's like charity or whether it's like we're at a restaurant and my friend is there and I like buy his coffee or like you know like what it I think that it's good to demonstrate that I love and respect people by like buying them dinner occasionally and not to like you know like oh I gotta always be the one that grabs the check but just to, to you know like to let them know in some emotional way that like hey dude I appreciate your time and so you know I, I grabbed this one. You might grab me one in the future. You might not, you know, it's okay. Yeah. Cause it's not about keeping score in my friendship. It's about being a generous person to the people that I love and respect.
2: And it, it's, you know? it's that gratitude and that generosity that is inherent in the idea of charity where you're giving without the, without expect- the
1: expectation of, like, of receiving, yeah. of
2: receiving. Yeah. And, uh, that is a very, Christian thing to do.
1: I don't know that it is. I think that the Christians have co-opted. it. I think ah, that they... I, ah. I, because I've been reading authors that are pre-Christian that yeah. are also talking about it. Mm-hmm. You know? like, uh, Like, the one that comes to mind off the top of my head is one that I've been reading through with my son. He's, uh, he's starting ahead hit an age where it's important to introduce him to the ideas of philosophy because he's hitting a certain, you know, the puberty juices are starting to flow and now suddenly he's like, oh, I want to fucking do all the things that I want. You know, what <laughs> you know, well, kids do, stage. you know? Yeah, it's, it's a normal part of humanity. But like we've been reading through Seneca and Seneca, of course, is uh, right around the period where uh, Christianity is starting to start and he's talking about, Reading authors before him and recounting those ideas to his friend in the Seneca letters. And you would not believe how many of the ideas of like generosity and kindness and, you know, uh, nonviolence, like, you know, choosing to to act in certain way, you wouldn't believe well, how many of those ideas I feel like predate he, Christianity. I feel
2: like humanity has always known.
1: We know what's right. There, there <laughs> is such on. thing
2: as a conscience yeah. and we are conscience and we all have that and we all know what's good. And when yeah. you're killing a bunch of people and taking their land or taking their castle or whatever, right. you know, it's, you know, at some level it's not a good thing, but you see everyone else doing it and you know, if you don't do it, someone else is going to do it. So you're then, just going like, to do it anyway. What ends
1: up happening is like cultures that have it claim that they were the ones that made it and that like everybody before them or anyone that's not them doesn't have the thing. And it's like, oh, that's definitely not the case. And know? So if
2: you don't have the thing, then get out of here kind of thing. Yeah. And I, I, that's so hard for, I don't know. I, that's so hard for a religion to be based off of where it's either our way or the highway. I, I, that's for me. Them. Is the give or take for if I'm okay with the religion or not? Is how tolerant they are. Are are they able to yeah. g- live their life, even though other people aren't living the same life they are?
1: Yeah. See, that's the thing. Is that it's a good line to draw. But I what I, what I like to do is I like to and I'm not saying you're wrong. You know. No. You, I mean, you I it the way that you do. Um, one of the things that I like to do is dissect the religion as opposed to thinking of it as a whole to to take each individual idea and interface with that directly and come up with your own determination of how you feel about it i do this with politics too like i i don't think that any one party on like fully understands the full spectrum of morality or any of those types of things but it's such a
2: negative concept to be a pick and choose kind of person you're are you a pick and choose kind of politician are you a pick and choose christian are you a pick and choose occultist yeah.
1: Yeah, I guess they it's don't like it they, because bad. they want you to be in the tribe. But I, I don't really give a shit about the tribalism. I I wanna I wanna take each individual idea and be like, well, uh, you know, is is this one idea good? How should I choose to accept or reject this idea? Okay, now let's move on to the next idea, because I think that a lot of times if we if we look at any total system, we we often I mean we have like like the human brain is very, very good at finding the negative. (laughs) I I think it's, you know, it's based in some of the ideas of like survivalism and like the, you know, like how do you, you kind of have to be a little bit paranoid and looking out for the Jaguar so that he doesn't steal your baby, you know, like some of that, like that primal caveman mentality. And so like now we like look at whole groups of large, complex systems of information and we, Find all the bad things faster. So I think in order to combat that is probably why I developed this idea of like looking at each separate individual idea and coming up with my own determination on it.
2: Well, it's a very analytical way of perceiving the world. Is that mm-hmm. everything is this discrete integers instead of a
1: yeah whole sum of and it. there's and there's correspondences between them. I'm not I'm not suggesting that there's not like uh, really I mean the entire magical system all of them. Like as a whole, seem to have some kind of idea of correspondence, some idea of like this symbol relates to this energy, relates to this spirit, relates to this god. Like so, you know, I, I
2: get what you're saying, and I, I think that brings back to my point of yeah, there was probably just one religion at first, and we all, you know, the I
1: think you're right.
2: The, what is it, the fall of the Tower of Solomon and then everyone the Tower of Babel uh, Babel and then everyone has different languages and now they have different religions because they're trying to articulate the same things in a different way and so you know we see it in slang and the evolution of language and how it changes from Latin to You know, old English to new English to what we're living today. Even when
1: we go through like minor changes in language, we're like, we're going to use this one word instead of that word. And there's always this huge resistance. Um, There's there's a period that became aware to me. I wasn't super aware of it. Um, Somebody that's really, really big on um, like providing rights for certain groups of people had kind of pointed it out to me um, where there's a period where we shifted from using thou to using you and that period, everyone lost their goddamn minds. Well, it's such a useful word. It's a a demonization of the English language and it's the devil's work. And you can't, you can't shift this pronoun from they or thou to this pronoun of you because it brings in all these concepts that are completely inappropriate and anti-theatical. And like, it's, it's it like sounds really... like
2: the conversation we're having today. I know.
1: <laughs> That's why they pointed it out. Is I was like, oh, it, and it was like, they, they, I mean, it was in a situation where they had like slides and they were like showing me like, you know, well, I... and I was, I was open to like kind of take a look at what they're talking about. I wasn't quite mm-hmm. sold one direction or the other. I kind of wanted to see what their whole thing was, but like they made such a good argument for how just like a single switch of a word completely shifts and then the culture resists any kind of... A well, search, I don't
2: think people you know? like change. I don't think culture likes yeah. change. We're always yeah. resistant to it. We always have doubt in that new thing, which is good. I mean, I think it's a survival instinct that, you know, we don't want to eat that piece of fruit because it might kill us. But right. it could be really good, too.
1: could be delicious.
2: <laughs> it could be delicious. Yeah. I mean... It could be demons. It could be a trap. It could be demons.
1: <laughs> so, do you feel... Uh... Because I think that a lot of, for myself, I think that a lot of, like, mainstream religion is often very, like, safe, sterilized, like, in a way. Do you feel like the occult has, like, challenged you in ways where, like, you have found things that were of benefit but were, like, emotionally difficult for you to kind of, like, work through or, like... Like, did oh, you ever constantly. find yourself, like, afraid? Like, you're, you're, like, actively doing something, and you're like, oh, my God, this is kind of scary, or this challenges myself emotionally? Or, For like, the afraid part,
2: it was probably only the times where I was doing something that I shouldn't be doing. <laughs> okay. Or yeah. I had that fear, and God was looking at me like, dude, what the hell are you doing? And I'm mm-hmm. like, well, I mean, it's in my right, so I'm going to do it anyways. But, yeah, fear, a lot of that. Yeah. Um. But I get challenged every day with my spirituality and the things that are coming out about who I am as a person and how I interact with people that my spirits are telling me and then I'm taking a step back and be like oh yeah I have been doing that for my own whole entire life and these are the consequences of my actions because of that person interacting with me and that person interacting with me and how our relationship has changed because I've done a shitty thing in my behavior um so, yeah, it's constantly growth and change yeah. uh, but i and I think that is what's so awesome about spirituality in general. I do like how actually, I don't know, I don't know what I'm about to say there.
1: so can I ask about okay, so obviously, uh, I feel like I have to pose this question in a certain way, and I want to explain to the audience why I'm posing in this certain yeah. Way. Uh, obviously, a lot of occult traditions have certain oaths towards secrecy and certain uh, respect lines in between, like my tradition and your tradition. There are things that we don't talk about because, you know, we have certain things that we've taken oaths to protect, right? Are you in a position where you would be able to and willing to discuss the first occult experience that you had? Uh, whether that's like a group working or your own private practice, or is that something where either you wouldn't be comfortable or have taken us to protect
2: my first occult experience? I mean, was probably the lesser banishing ritual of the pentagram.
1: No shit. You yeah. started with LBRP. Yeah. That's interesting. You started with LBRP. Oh man. I, I think LBRP is a fantastic one. Uh, I did three episodes on it
2: yeah i saw that yeah i haven't listened to them yet but they're
1: they're great Mm -hmm. i think you'll like them cool um so i think that it's a standard across the occult world i think that it it offers a lot of opportunity uh i can't picture it being somebody's first not because it wouldn't make a good starting point but because it's like you don't find it until you're kind of in the deep end of the pool a lot of times man yeah
2: (laughs) i definitely didn't come into spirituality in the normal way um I mean, like I said, it was 2012, right before it. I was kind of a little lost, didn't really know what I wanted to do. I was in college um, and kind of stumbled upon some occult stuff and was getting into like Reiki and other energy healing modalities and just energy work in general and mind over matter thoughts Mm -hmm. and ideas where in a very secular way as well that it wasn't about god it wasn't about spirits it was about energy and matter yeah. and being able to change it
1: i was actively an atheist for the first like 2 years of being in the tradition that i'm in now yeah and uh i can definitely understand that like mentality of actively experimenting with this thing and seeing some results and and being able to like put a very secular vibe on them sometimes. And and then other times being like, Hey, that's a giant mystery. I don't know how that worked, but it definitely did. Uh, I
2: think it was me holding my hand for myself that uh, kind of tiptoeing into the water and, I always knew and it was, I mean, my first first spiritual experience in general was, you know, having those thoughts of like kind of putting everything together and Reiki and mind over matter and, and the water. And, you know, when water freezes and you're being nice to it, it freezes in a nice pattern. But Mm -hmm. when you're being mean to it, it freezes in an ugly pattern
1: and, I've seen, I've seen that documentary that you're talking about. Is it false? His, his work's been highly... Disturbing. Yeah, I, I've heard that too. Yeah. I, I, heard know, that. I know exactly the... Doc- you know what's interesting though? <laughs> that documentary yeah. was one of the things that inspired me to start asking certain questions and investigate in certain ways. And so as much as I don't like that the information that was in his work was false that particular piece ends up being like this very positive force in the universe where it makes people start asking the questions. Oh, yeah. And I myself was watching well, that keep... same thing in probably 2011, 2012. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's very funny that. Well, and, and
2: it's that's why we have doubt. And that's why it's important, it's important. To, to keep doubt is because even though you see this snowflake being all beautiful after you say thank you to it, it may not be true. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'm, you know... Seeing, and I always had this idea in my mind that if this doesn't work, if I don't like it, I can just go back to the way that I'm living right now, which isn't great. But so that's why I'm trying this crazy thing. Well, what I did was I went into my shower, turned off all the lights, and I started saying ohm over and over again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's so funny that I know this for detail. Is that just different in my life experience at that time? Yeah. Um, Was the idea of running water in pipes and how it destroys the quality of the water, the spirituality of the water makes it it dumb and docile kind of thing. So I was trying to So you
1: put yourself in a scenario where you were trying to like vibrationally or energetically influence the water into a positive state. Correct. I get it. And I understand the logic there.
2: And yeah, the metaphysics is sound. Sure. It's there. It's there. It is. And And so
1: then you locked yourself in a black box with white noise behind you. <laughs> and then started <laughs> chanting, and I'm not surprised that shit happened.
2: <laughs> I mean, my whole body was glowing; it was white. Yeah. It was all that I could see: the water, the golden water, the white, bright, brilliant white light flowing over my whole body, and yeah, and draining down into the drain. It was it was glorious. It was a a circuit connecting at that point.
1: And see, that's the thing: is that that particular documentary might have a false premise but that it offers the perfect scenario for people to logically find their way into a very very real practice mm-hmm. like you're describing a, a ritual that I could like see myself doing you know like I, well that, i mean that, that works <laughs> it's,
2: yeah it's very profound and yeah. you know you have a bucket of water and you start praying over it you start chanting over it interesting it's, things happen uh for 70% water the the yeah. earth is 70% water yeah. there's a lot of energetic currents in that idea and i think it flows perfectly together in our world. And that's where I kind of started. You know, next day, I probably, not next day, but a week later, two weeks later, I did the LBRP and never Man. looked back.
1: Jeez. Yeah, I wish I started with LBRP. I've found a lot of interesting, uh, really, ceremonial magic in general, but like, so LBRP first published in um, Lieber Ovel Manaset Sagitta, which was mm-hmm. uh, published in this book right here, Equinox Volume... I want to say it was Volume 2 uh, by Alistair Crowley. Okay. Right? Um, he had learned it with the Golden Dawn. It seems like its origins were the Golden Dawn, uh, but we actually don't know. It could be lost to time where it actually came from. But that was the first, like, official publication of it. And, uh, it's not a mystery on the podcast that, that lines up pretty well with my tradition. Crowley's mm-hmm. work. Oh yeah, for sure. Well with my tradition. And uh, so it wasn't until I had already found like those types of things that I started experimenting with it. But it is a profoundly deep. I, I The fact that I was able to do like six ish hours. Figure an episode is when I do them is usually an hour to an hour and a half because I figure people can pause it and come back to it and mm-hmm. you know digested at their own rate. Uh but I also don't want a lot of super long episodes cuz I feel like that's like intimidating sometimes, you know. Oh, for sure. So the LBRP episode is like an hour and a half and then maybe an hour and a half or an hour 45 minutes and then like 2 hours. So there's three different parts to it. And the idea that a single page of text like there's only I don't know like 150 something words in LBRP's script that you could Expand that out to talking for six hours, or five hours, or whatever is insane, man. Like whoever act—I don't think Crowley made it. I think Crowley transmitted it from Golden Dawn, but—but but is that the so whole point? Information
2: it, in, in it. you know ritual work is that yeah. you have the written script, but in between those lines is so much other work that you're doing in those moments. Um, yeah,
1: I agree. I agree. And I think that that's part of the growth that I find in my own practice is like okay, have you memorized whatever ritual? It could be LBRP, be it could be anything else, right? Yeah. Have you memorized the ritual? Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, okay, I've taken the time to memorize it. Great. Next step, what are you visualizing as you say each one of these words as you do each one of these actions? well, okay, I could start working on that. Now, like, what do those symbols mean that you're visualizing? Like, the, the investigation of each one of those items and, like, mm-hmm. why is it a specific color? You know, like, what does that mean? Or, like, why did you use this particular thing instead of that particular thing? Like, what's the what's the core idea that you're trying to get to under that? And just building up layer by layer the understanding of something over time, which I think that every religion does in some way. That's the idea of a spiritual text. That's my uh,
2: concern about talking about this, and even coming on this podcast. Yeah, what's that? A lot of those higher steps need Mm -hmm. to be experienced for that individual. And I agree us talking about it, not
1: interpreting it so much for others, but leaving them room to, because that's where the beauty for
2: me comes from is that when, when a piece of knowledge comes to me or a piece of wisdom comes to me Mm -hmm. that I've never heard from anyone I've never read, I've never listened to in anything and it's just there and it's profound and sometimes profane Mm -hmm. and
1: It's unreal. I mean, that's what, that's the hit that keeps me going. Yeah. So, one of the things that I try to do with this show, and listeners will definitely be aware that I'm doing this, is I try to lay the super basic foundation work Mm -hmm. of, hey, here's the basics so that you have high quality information so that if you go out and you find like some book, you're like, oh, I understand the historical context for what this book is talking about or I understand like the super basic traditions. Like the entry level, you started yesterday, I try to lay that down. And then I try to build up just enough that we can talk about the more interesting stuff and then I leave the, the super interesting stuff up to the individual. But I always throw like a grappling hook up to it. Yeah. Like, like, hey, we're climbing a mountain together. Here's a grappling hook to some interesting information. Here's a grappling hook to some instrument information. Now come up with your own interpretations and fucking climb for yourself. Because I don't believe that the, the most interesting things are communicable. I I don't think that you physically can do it. And I think you do a disservice to other people by attempting to a lot of times. Mm -hmm. Because like I don't want to encroach on your personal interpretation of your shit. I want to help encourage motion and momentum so that you get to do that at a faster rate for yourself.
2: And that's fair. And I think those grappling hooks have helped me in the future, not specifically yours, yeah, what but other what people's about. grappling yeah. hooks have helped me in the future because when those profound things do happen, I immediately link it to that grappling hook mm-hmm. and I'm like, Oh my God, they were talking about the same thing. Yeah. Okay. And then that just propels me that much more.
1: Yeah. But one of the issues with organized mainstream religion is that they will sit down with like a verse and they'll interpret that verse for other people. Mm-hmm. And they'll say, this is what this thing means. And they'll try to get group conformity in that way, and I think that practice is disruptive because that stops the individual from being able to actually. And so finding the balance between those things super hard. I'm not sure that I have it completely figured Who out. Who knows? I try to be mindful of that line and try to like you know uh, figure out which specific things are are best non communicated, you know, because and I, and I've had a lot of conversations with other people are in my community at least that are also wondering that thing you know like where's the appropriate line i want to give people as much information as is appropriate because i want them to have a high quality information but i want them to be able to engage with their own self-discovery of the things because that's the greatest adventure and it's also a deeper understanding to have done stuff as opposed to heard someone talk about stuff it's like the difference of like how much do you understand about like uh, woodworking from watching a YouTube video versus how much do you understand about woodworking because you built a chair? Yeah, you know it's like, the practice that actually makes. Yeah, it's the active engagement with it. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, I try to. I try to. I try to be mindful of that line. I hope I do a good job. No, of, I think you, you do. Know?
2: And there's another thing to on the same kind of lines is that the. It's the mixing and matching, and I think the distinct religions and distinct traditions should be honored mm-hmm. and that overlapping them actually causes disservice and misfortune into the world um but that's a fine line for me too because i'm i'm a, all about tolerance and i like to pick yeah. and choose things and what works for me isn't going to work for other people but i'm not going to tr- try also
1: to... mature enough to admit that
2: yeah oh i mean you know, sure sure I, there's know. a
1: lot of traditions that aren't I often see not specifically occult traditions, yeah. but like I often see some surface level religions that will not admit that there are different kinds of people and different things might work for them, and, and that there's some need for tolerance to exist in the world as opposed to like convert everybody to our way of thinking or else, or else, know, or else. There's always an or else at the end of those statements. No, Have you ever ones? noticed? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All
2: right, I got a question for you. Yeah, what's up? Um, in your practice, mm-hmm. do you work with the dead?
1: Um, it's a good question. I don't a lot. I have, I have once or twice done some working with the dead. Uh, in earlier traditions that I was experimenting with, we did things like. Um, honoring Grateful Dead and, and those types of things. The or Grateful honoring, oh, dead? Honorable dead? I meant honorable. Oh, dead. Okay. A band name came out of my brain. <laughs> yeah, like like the honorable dead of doing like, um, like around Halloween time, doing mm-hmm. like certain types of offerings towards members of your own particular family or your own tradition and those types of things. Um, I've done some of those types of things, but it's been many years since I have uh, actively worked on that. Um, In
2: your practices or your groups? Mm-hmm. Um, the religions that you're part of mm-hmm. yeah. are there rituals that involve the dead
1: i i imagine that all religions have something to do with death
2: but i'm specifically asking about yours yeah and your and mine's not
1: different from that but we also don't do a whole lot of and it's so hard man how do i define the practice of other people in a tradition that's Entire central tenet is that everyone needs to come up with their own way of doing stuff. (laughs) You know? Um, I personally don't see a whole lot of it, but it is not a void, barren wasteland of it either. There are definitely individuals who are very, very into it. Um, And how do they work it? Work them. Yeah. Um, Similar to how anybody would do stuff, they do a certain cleansing consecration space uh dedicate the space call the thing in uh and then do whatever the communication or blessing or whatever is going to be and then we'll banish the space and you know
2: nice okay
1: yeah there's also like um some like more formalized ritual that i've seen people write out like very long form you know Working towards one specific entity or a specific story or a specific thing that they were uh, encouraged by, as opposed to using like a like a system like LibreO where it's like very adaptable and you but very formal. Uh, they might do like more of like uh, writing poetry towards one specific story or like retelling a tale that a human being lived or uh, in a ritual setting. Those, those yeah might be potential things. Um, meditative astro processes of reaching out towards specific entities and seeing if you get responses, mm-hmm. working with that response as you will. There's a lot of options. For sure. There's no way to define all the things that Thelemites are doing. Cause like our whole thing is like figure it out, you know? Like come up with your own interpretation, carve your own path. We're here to support you in that process. But like it's up to you to make the determination of what you think is appropriate and what it's not. For sure. Yeah? You know? Uh so I can only speak on certain uh people that i've run into i don't work with the dead a lot i don't do it um because i'm working with other things right now that have been really beneficial um okay so recently uh i went to a friend's house um out of state he has a full temple set up inside his home awesome spent like thousands of dollars on the floor tiles alone (laughs) like you step into this room and you think your brain goes are we in a museum right now because like it's got like thick marble floors and there's a certain way that that affects your psychology oh yeah vibration on the. so that level of detail to the whole temple space try to like you know is that
2: like embedded into a house it's
1: in his house in the suburbs Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's really cool. That's epic. You'd never know. If it was your neighbor, you'd have no idea that that was happening.
2: There's a giant temple next door in your neighbor's house. Yeah, just
1: like one of the rooms in the house. Just like, you know. (laughs) Epic. Yeah. And uh, so we went and did like a very formal ritual where uh, it was using stuff like uh, the Enochian system, a lot of Golden Dawn style magic, a lot of O, also doing some more... Yeah, kind of picking and choosing the very formalized side of all of the different things. And, you know, you're going as far as you can take it, or as far as I've ever seen somebody take it, as as far as like what time of day, what planets are in the sky, what moment do you start, uh, going through wearing specific clothes, specific colors, decorating the space in a specific way, and then wearing like... Like uh, like Enochian laymans and stuff like that. So you Enochian wall
2: you were maximizing the vibrational correspondence yeah we're going hard, bro. he yeah. goes so much
1: harder than, I, and I really needed somebody to like show me their way of doing it so that I could kind of get past my own plateaus it was very well, interesting well when they have
2: a temple in their mansion in the suburbs it wasn't it? a mansion
1: it's just a house dude like he's just a regular dude <laughs> he might be your neighbor for all you you know. never that's know that's the thing is like well, that's the cool part about, about a cult s- <laughs> he, he could be <laughs> your this neighbor this not something that happened overnight like he was just inherently wealthy he works like the rest of us you know like he just cared a lot about it and put money aside and made something happen that he gave, that he gave a shit about like, no
2: I get it I get yeah. it
1: yeah um, And so we did this very formalized ritual with specific planets and zodiacs and houses in the sky. And uh, so we had like a time frame and we went really hard on like the physical materials and making the whole space, you know, really emulate that. And then we called in a specific planetary intelligence uh, and it was incredibly in your face. I've done a lot of stuff where there's like, Oh yeah, it might, you know, potentially but, but I definitely feel a thing and I can tune into that feel. It was like the thing fucking was there and there was zero doubt in your mind about it. And so I've been doing a lot of those types of things lately where I've been working with like planetary intelligences, I've been working with like my own mythology and my own tradition, I've been working with like um daily practice, like daily uh solar adorations and those types of things. Um that's just how I'm going about this particular phase in my spirituality. I'm not closed to the idea of working with the dead. I have done small workings in the past with them. I'm not closed to the idea of doing something like that in the future. Maybe even going through a long period of time where that's the only thing that I'm working with. I'm totally open to those things. But to answer your question, what kinds of things are you working with now? And why aren't you working with the dead? It's because I'm getting a lot out of what I'm doing. And it's... Uh, when I plateau, because I will. You always do. At some point. At some point, you know. You we'll just got to up the weight. Yeah. At some point, I will up the weight. That's a good way to put it, you know. Um, interesting. Why? What are you doing to work with the den? What's it like?
2: I'm still thinking about that temple. It's pretty epic. I've always had this idea of uh, building, like, a circle temple on yeah. stone. And, like, painting each wall, the proper correspondence, having the lights, light bulbs change out with you the just different... just one
1: bit at a time, you know? Yeah, I mean, I'm working towards it. You, you know, like, like, the temple itself is, what, thousands of dollars to figure out. But how much is a light bulb? No, and know? It's pretty heavy. You just buy a light bulb that you want to be able to change... I totally understand what you're talking about, too, with, like, the color change. Yeah, the color yeah, changes. Change. Yeah, I totally it's like, get it. let's work with Mars.
2: Yeah. Okay, let's throw in some red lights here. Totally. Okay. Yeah, I'm on board. Uh, but,
1: like, okay... Maybe not build the whole temple. But, Just build the one item that you have the monetary ability to. But build.
2: you've seen the consequences of doing that.
1: Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> Are we going to talk about that now? <laughs> oh, <fuck.
2: laughs> oh no! Oh no! No no no! Oh, yeah, what put, did a you po- mean? put a pause on that. Uh, okay. Okay. Um. No, of, of you're working with your friend in the temple, how mm-hmm. profane it was. it was, or profound it was. Profound. It was, it was profound. right in your face. Zero profane. It, it was. It was there. You could feel it. You could hear it. it I could see it. You could see we, it. We got it to
1: visual, like we. And got that's what happens
2: visual. in ceremonial magic. That's what happens when you maximize vibrational yeah. correspondence. and it's that's why it's so expensive. And there's so many things that you need with it. I mean,
1: I don't know that you need the things. No, you don't need. They need help. But it adds yeah, yeah. to it. it, it yeah.
2: It allows that energy. I mean, we know physics, so you're, 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 the amplitude of that sine wave is yeah. being increased because you have red lights now and you have red tile or you're wearing the red robe or whatever. I like
1: the way Crowley puts it. He, he talks about it being the entire magical operation being a system of pneumatics. So that if any point the magician were to—he uses the word magician. Nowadays, the occult world does not like the word magician. Oh,
2: I've been yeah, out of that. we
1: we we opt for other things because we don't want to be associated with like stage magic. But during uh, his during his—that makes sense. The correct term is magician. So he says for the magician to, um, if the magician's eyes fall upon the lighting, he is then reminded of whatever the planet was. I think in the example he was using, it was Mercury. So he says. Like if if the magician's eyes falls on the number of candles, he counts them. They are eight. He is then brought back into the ritual because it reminds him of you know that planetary energy. <laughs> and then if uh, if he looks down and sees what color robe he's wearing, again he is brought back. The entire magical operation being some system of mathematics in order to increase the you know the output. I think I think it's really valuable to go hard. I don't think you have to. I think you can like get all of the things done like naked in the woods. Like, and I've done operations not naked, but in the woods, yeah. where like I didn't bring anything with me, and I was like, "Well, what can what, like what's around us? Can we like just make this happen? You know?" And like taking like sap and making like little burn candles, and like getting you that's know, cool. incense and stuff just from your natural environment. Like, I mean, really, you don't even need that stuff. Like, you could just do it with nothing. I
2: mean, that's probably one of because I'm a lazy person to begin with. It's one of my favorite things about. My transition from cel- ceremonial magic in- mm-hmm. into more of a spiritism kind of path is the amount of stuff that I don't need. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, I totally agree. I do opt for doing, like LBRP, uh, for example, I'll do that regularly. Or LBRP similar rituals, like the Star Ruby, things mm-hmm. like that, where it's like very obviously very similar construct. Uh, I will often opt to not use Magical implement uh, Implement. Um, because I think it's better to just have it with you all the time and to not be dependent on physical materials and so like for example The Lesser Vanishing Ritual of the Pentagram in its original script calls for a dagger uh, or I think it's I think it says the word dagger I don't remember if it says ceremonial knife uh, I often will just do the two finger yeah, you know thing but yeah I think that it's it's good for the stage that I'm at I don't know
2: no, I, I think that's what makes you a more adept magician to begin with or mm. whatever you want mm-hmm. noun you want to use for it is that those tools are just symbols to begin with. Yeah. And the reason that you have them on your altar is so that it immediately brings you to that energetic vibration yeah, when you touch space. it. It brings yeah. you into that headspace. Yeah. Um, And as you be more adept, you just don't need any of that stuff anymore because yeah. it, you can immediately bring the vibrations... Like I do. Yeah, but, it helps. And yeah. It, 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 for right. me, it feels need... cool. It feels like you're actually in there. The pomp and circus yeah, it of it. A, it gives
1: you a vibe. Everyone's wearing a black robe, <laughs> chanting Gregorian tones, and like, you know, there's candlelit the rooms, and incense burning. I don't know, man. There's a vibe there that I enjoy. <laughs> it's dark. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, to answer your question about
2: what I do for working yeah, the dead. Yeah, what do
1: you do to work the dead? Uh
2: so, so, one of the main reasons why I decided to come onto your podcast was to specifically to talk about this. Okay, um, is because right now in my life, in my practice, where I am working with spirits and working spiritism, and and working the dead, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to elevate myself so that I can have the growth needed to not just move side to side, but actually move up and elevate as a, a spiritual being and become better as a person that way. Um, And there are a lot of human dead that are running around the world and running around this room and floating through this room and throughout society and throughout space that need that elevation too, and need that growth. And, you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer of reincarnation to a sense where Spirits come back and if they didn't learn a lesson in their previous life, they have to relearn that lesson in this life. Um, So it's all about perpetuating the growth of humanity. Okay. The elevation of humanity. Mm -hmm. Um, And I specifically think that comes from working the dead and that we can propel our collective elevation together by working the dead Mm -hmm. so that when they come back, um, and come and are reincarnated into another body that they have the correct tool set to continue down the path that they're...
1: So let me try to interpret it. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but let me try to reiterate what I heard. Okay. Um, so are you saying that from your perspective, mm-hmm. um, there's this sense of reincarnation where an individual who doesn't learn what they needed to learn... We'll have to have the lesson taught again, which if you can work with them before said event happens and they could learn the lesson in a way that's appropriate or work out the trauma in a way that's appropriate or whatever the thing is that's holding them back from whatever next stage, next step. If we if we did that more frequently, then living society would benefit because as people are reincarnated, now they don't have as much of that baggage, as much of that lesson to learn, as much as whatever the thing is that's holding them back. And now all of society is like lifted up one level. And then we do that again and we're all lifted up one level. That's a better way of articulating. kind of stuck in the stasis mode of trying to learn the same lesson over and over and over again. Is that kind of what you mean?
2: That's exactly what I
1: mean. Exactly. Okay, cool. I did understand uh, what you meant.
2: And the other thing, not just the next level is going to be more elevated living human beings, there's going to be less unelevated dead roaming the world right. that are getting into mischief and messing with your computer or your car or whatever. And so that will inherently make people better because they have less. It makes
1: life better. It makes every, well, but yeah. not just life. It makes existence. That's a better word for it. Probably. Yeah. It makes, it makes it... existence as a whole, a little better every time.
2: Right. Okay. And so now you don't have that, you know, little random spirit, talking shit into your ear they're they're elevated they're gone they don't they're with god they don't need to talk shit into your ear anymore right to bring you down kind of thing um so yeah so it's all about that Um, but specifically, I think that's more of like a pretty higher level way of doing it where you're calling in a specific dead or you're just calling in some random dead that's wandering around Mm -hmm. and trying to work with them. That's very dangerous. It's very scary. It's very, (laughs) actually, uh, could be huge problematic for that individual, that group of people. Um, it could cause mental illness. It could cause physical damage to your house, to your body, to your kids. Um, I mean, they're not you're not just messing around with them and i mean it's it's a lot like working with other spiritual entities that aren't living or previously living entities um or previously living humans so right with that caveat that it's dangerous you got you should be a very experienced practitioner to be working with these dead because they don't necessarily have your best interest in mind. They're doing whatever they want to do. And and the other thing is, is if you have a specific trauma or wound that you're working through yourself, that's similar to that spirit, uh, they could attach to that and kind of grow from it and actually make it worse and make your life worse because, so if you don't have the proper, you know, cleansing or protection up, you could get hurt from that. Yeah. Um so there's this idea that I've come across that's called uh it's not the forgotten dead it's the the trapped dead okay. that are almost in a purgatory state where they are in huge amount of pain and suffering uh because of their life and when they died uh they didn't feel worthy about going being reincarnated or being reunited with God. So they just kind of stick around and created their own prison. So it's, they literally are in a, a jail cell kind of thing. Yeah. And they are very low elevated kind of spirits. Uh, they feel like they're trapped. They can't move anywhere. And they're literally in their own perceived and created hell. Mm-hmm. So it's helping them out. It's, you know, giving them light, giving them water, giving them prayers so that they can reunite with
1: God okay Um, how do you go about how do you go about it like what um so first it sounds like you're suggesting it could be potentially dangerous and i think that i would agree with that having not done a whole lot of it i do think from what i have experimented with that that is probably true uh i like that you started with banishing that your, your origin story was like, hey, I learned Lesser vanishing Ritual of the Pentagram because any time you get to work with invisible forces, I think it's better to learn how to make them go away first. Have working understanding of make whatever the thing is, whether it's conscious or unconscious, whether it's you know energy or spirit or whatever, right? Uh, make things leave bef- and protect yourself before you learn how to call things in and make them show up. For sure. But I think that it was really... I don't know if this was by design or you just came upon it. Yeah. it just came upon good, it. Yeah. I, I mean, I wasn't working the dead until
2: like three, four years ago anyway. Right. So, I mean, I wouldn't suggest anyone doing it until they have at least a couple of years of devout disciplined right. practice of any kind
1: of spiritual practice. So, you, so you, you learned how to defend yourself first mm-hmm. and how to make sure that you were healthy. Cause obviously you can't like you, it's like If you have co- leprosy, you probably shouldn't be a nurse at the hospital trying to help people. No. You know, like you should you should be at home getting your own system in alignment first, then start worrying about trying to heal others, right? Exactly. So, so I think that it sounds like you spent a couple of years doing those types of things, learning how to clean a space, learning how to get yourself right. Then you started looking at helping others, right? Uh, with a very, uh, very high-end goal. You know, a goal of, you know, like elevating the whole system. I, I respect that. You know, I think that's really yeah, important.
2: Yeah, I, I, th- I think it comes back to, I guess I don't know what else to do. And maybe that's my problem. Well, in I general. mean, you could
1: watch football and Netflix for the rest of your life and eat Doritos. Oh, well, like, yeah. That's one of the options. But I, don't I guess know if you've, you've become aware of that. They <laughs> <laughs> do make Doritos.
2: <laughs> it's always an option. It's yeah. always an option. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, Doritos so then, are
1: there. so then, uh, how do you work with them? Like, what what kinds of things might you find yourself doing in order to alleviate some of that problem that you have identified?
2: Um, Yeah, I think before I I get into what I do specifically, I kind of wanted to have a conversation with you to see how a ceremonial magician would kind of go about that, how an occult practitioner would go about that. Yeah, okay. How
1: would I approach it?
2: Yeah, and kind of creating a ritual from there. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I, I was thinking about it myself and i'm not really sure but i think you have more experience in the occult fashion than i do um especially working we just with have a- different
1: we seem to be on slightly different uh, traditions slightly Wavelace. i don't think that one of us is like truly like i don't know but yeah, but yeah okay so in specifically the tradition that i would do uh how would i go about it that's a really good question um i think that it's something that i have to give a lot of thought to first off i think that Uh, balance is always key across most of the board. Mm -hmm. And so if something has too much water, I would add fire. If something has too much fire, I would add water. If something has too much dark, I would add light. If something has too much light, I would add dark. I think that a central balance point is often the point of the most empowerment. Um, and, And so often I would opt for that. And whether that's Doing a ceremony in order to like call in whatever that opposite energy is. I um, would also, uh, if if it was like a moment where I had like actual communication with some spirit entity, something, I would I would be uh, first off I would be testing to see where it's at with certain concepts, which I believe to be important. I would figure out certain tests to make sure that this thing's intention is not to hurt me, that it's kind of going about. And then I would try to find a way to incorporate it back into the group, to accept it for what it is, ask it things like what do you like what do you want versus what do you need? You know, because cause those are two really big questions. If something's like, I don't know, like dark or whatever, it will want to hurt things that are around it. But when you start asking questions like, well, what do you need in order to be whole or to be at peace or those types of things, then you start getting this, you know, into the deeper level of like, um, well, I, you know, like I hurt because of this thing. And, and uh, maybe that stress being alleviated could be, you know, some of the thing that might turn into like leaving offerings, having a philosophical discussion with the entity, trying to impart, you know, whatever balance that i can to encourage the healthy state of the thing of the entity of the intelligence
2: man that's not bad i like that i think uh you kind of know exactly what you're talking about there um definitely what you're saying is more for like individual spirits that come through
1: individual spirit absolutely and i am kind of thinking of it as the approach of the individual that
2: you're Specifically, calling up a family member or, per, or one of your friends that. Died. something that wanders through. Or something that wanders through in, in a ritual, and you're like, what's going on? So you start asking a bunch of questions.
1: Or something that's glommed onto a certain part of my own psyche as I am trying to incorporate wholeness in my own life in a very Jungian fashion of like engaging in incorporating the shadow those types of things. Yeah, that, I mean that's uh, yeah, I think that's
2: how. I think that's good. And it's it's important to ask those questions about like who you are and what do you want? What do you need? And is it appropriate for me to give that to you or is that just feeding your addiction kind of thing? Yeah. Um and it, more of that higher level kind of uh practice for spiritual practitioners is working that one-on-one kind of debt Um it's something that I wanted to bring up and mm-hmm. I and I'm glad I asked you to talk about it first because that was really interesting and I'm. Some things clicked in my head for me, myself. Dope. Um So, specifically for these lower level dead that aren't just like one individual that's coming in and being like, mm-hmm. bitch, I got strangled to death by my stupid husband and I'm gonna strangle all these other bitches because of that.
1: Well, if you're a ghost that's listening to that situation happened, fuck your husband.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he's dead too, so maybe you should just. Get some light and go to God yourself. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, work through your things. Uh, so, yeah, with the. With these trapped dead. So they don't mm-hmm. even know that they're trapped They're, or they know they're trapped, but they don't even know that they can be freed. They, they, yeah. like, they like locked their own cage and they have the key with them. The, their key is in their hand. The door is even unlocked. It's open, but they see all these cages around them and, and the fire of hell. And they're, they're stuck in a moment of trauma from their life or whatever it could be. Um, that's keeping them so docile and not returning to God. They think God has forsaken them. They think God is not with them. Um, And so they don't pray to God. They don't call to God. They're not there with God. And that's the whole idea of this practice is to um, reunite those entities, those human dead with God Mm -hmm. to show them the path, to bring them the path. Um, so it's all, all about giving them lights, giving them prayers, even water where, so it's that cooling aspect. So
1: giving, giving water in the aspect that you're like satiating some need that they're and thirsty. offering comfort yeah. and then giving light in the sense that you're like connecting them to like, uh, and again, I'm putting this into my own words to make sure I'm understanding what you mean, like connecting them to hope. In the first, because you kind of have to like believe that you can get out of a locked cage before you can get out of a locked cage, Mm -hmm. you know. Uh, So, like, connecting them to that hope via the mechanism of light is that kind of that's
2: very good? Yeah, so that they don't even see that light, they don't even know that light's there, right? So, you're offering them that light and you're giving it to them in charity without Mm -hmm. the expectation of return. Love that so that they can be reminded that there is light in the world, that there is a way to God, that they do not, they're not locked in this cage that all they have to say the word and they shall be healed. All they have to say the word and they will be saved kind of thing. Um, the water usually you put like ice cubes in it to cool them off because they're very fiery. They're very, Mm -hmm. uh, energetic. They're very angry at their situation because I would be too, if I was trapped in a prison without God. And so you're cooling them off, you're giving them water to give them some, quench their thirst, and then you're showing them the way with prayer and light. Okay. And that's it. And that's the beauty of it. It's yeah. that it's so simple.
1: Now, one thing that you've touched on is uh, doing this in general, as opposed to with specific entities. Mm-hmm. So is this something where you're, uh, you're just leaving these types of offerings regularly? Um, for whoever may, as opposed to there's one specific individual that you're targeting this towards or whether that's, they showed up or whether that's, uh, um, you called them or those types of things. Yeah. Is it, you're just like regularly leaving them out for the faceless I wouldn't masses. S-
2: I wouldn't say regularly, but okay. yes, it is the faceless masses, so to speak. It's a group of spirits mm-hmm. that are the trapped souls. It's just what they are. They're moving around and, you know, just like other dead floating through the world. Yeah. Um, And so when they see that and they hear those prayers, uh, they get attracted to it. And so then they understand, oh, wait, this guy's saying that God's right with me. He's actually... Showing me the path, and here's the path. Okay, I'm gonna yeah. walk up it and do it. Um, yeah, so I may, maybe like once a year, once a t- every two years, that I'll do it a couple times a year, I'll do it. Um, but again, it's you, you got to be careful, and it, it comes with a caveat, is because, especially for me, like, uh, some person was telling me not to talk about this, is because why, if someone was meant to do this, they would have found that. Themselves, God would have shown them how to do this some other way besides me. So why am I talking about this?
1: Well, I mean, who showed you, right? Like like the information had to exist somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, someone taught you. You either were like actively a part of a group that were actually doing this, or you see, you, you went out seeking certain types of information, right? And so this crossed my path. But that crossed my path naturally.
2: And so this could be hopefully naturally if someone...
1: Hopefully, and this is yeah. why
2: I'm here talking to you about this right now. Yeah. it's because I thought that
1: uh, I mean, I mean, to, to be fair, like the podcast, I don't like, I don't go stand on a street corner with a sign and a billboard, and I'm like, hey, go, come check out this thing. Like the people that come to it, they come to it of their own volition and process each episode at, at their own rate. That's you fair. Know? So.
2: I mean, yeah so but yeah. uh for me this could be me just being selfish and not knowing what to do with my life and oh, okay. and so i'm finding this need to feel validated and needed in the world so i'm helping these trapped souls hmm. and i'm i'm bringing that to other people because i'm so awesome of a person and i'm saving the world yeah i like that through... you
1: include doubt within your own like because i think we all kind of have the back talk of like uh you know why am i doing this <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I think that it's good to be real with yourself and to admit that, you know, I I really think both things are probably true. I think that, you know, like there is some very positive effect on the universe. And also sometimes we have, you know, our own things to work through, whether it's uh, a savior complex or whatever, you know, like, why can't both of those things be true?
2: Well, just as long as I'm not clinging out of the savior aspect and thinking that I'm so awesome because I'm saving the world, I think that's fine, Right. which I don't necessarily think that's true for myself because fuck me, who the fuck am I? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And, but the thing is, is, is you gotta be careful about it is that, again, these yeah. are human dead that don't necessarily have the best interests in your mind. And when they get freed, they might just get one notch elevation and still be a dick. So you don't want them around their, your, your yeah. space. You don't want them with you. And so it's very important just to like do it and then mm-hmm. back off immediately and don't. Try to figure out what their names are, why they have trauma, who they are, why are they suffering? No, 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 no. Don't talk to me. There's a path there for you. Here's your light. Here's your prayers. Here's your water. Now go to God. Mm -hmm. Um, So they're not lingering around your space kind of thing. Yeah,
1: I understand that. Um, I think that gives people at least some idea of like... How you go about it? Let's say there's somebody out there that's a genuine seeker that is looking for high quality information um, about those types of traditions and practices. Is there a good source, a good author, good book, good uh, website, good group that they could approach, or do you uh, well, think that it's better for them to kind of? find that on their own right
2: no I think uh, spiritism in general with uh, Alan Kardec and his five books that he has with all the mediumship mm-hmm. skills I think spiritism really focuses in on a individual practitioners mediumship skills and how they commune with the unseen forces and usually in spiritism those unseen forces are human dead okay um, sometimes they're angelic sometimes they're elemental but usually they're human dead and so yeah, Google Spiritism. Look at Alan Kardec's five books. They're pretty long. They're they're great content. Um, and it really gives you kind of a vibe of how humanity works on some level. But I guess every religion talks about that. So Yeah. Um but it yeah, so is there a spiritism practitioner group in your town? Go talk to them. Go yeah. go to a seance, see what happens with that. Things like that.
1: Yeah. And, and of course, as always when approaching any kind of a cult topic, I would suggest approaching it with skepticism, uh, experimentation, mindset of saying like, well, what are the other options of what could be causing these types of sensations for myself? These types of ideas, the, my motivation, those types of things. Keep good record of while you're doing that. Because real things, and I do think what's happening is real uh real things will make it past the doubt test oh yeah you know so i actually think it's really healthy to you know document experiment try to figure out any other potentials
2: yeah and look at what was with those other practitioners like how is their life going
1: yeah yeah individual yeah because you don't really hear that a lot it's really funny I think it's true, uh, but you, you judge can't always ju- tell how someone's life is going. No, I mean well that's fair think, because then you, you know? could
2: be a very like stereotypical or, you know, have some judgment where right. you think that person's awful, but really they're doing awesome.
1: Yeah, or like, um, you know, you're on the outside of their experience. You don't know where they come from, how much growth they have. You, Some people prefer to live simply, to not have, you know, like, so. you you can't always spot it because of a sports car and a nice house. Some people are doing (laughs) really, really well for themselves and don't need those things, you know. So it's difficult from the outside to always tell what's going on with the individual. How much growth have they actually undergone? Where are they actually at? But yeah, definitely check. Because I think that, man, I'll tell you the drama chest, that, that one seems to be pretty consistent. (laughs) <laughs> How somebody reacts to drama seems to be one of the best ways to tell what's actually going on with their life, you know?
2: That's fair. Yeah, yeah. it's nothing like a fire test to get them right. going.
1: Yeah, call so. someone an asshole. No, don't. Don't just, <laughs> don't just walk around telling wizards they're assholes. Not the this is a test, the and you yeah. failed. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so... Uh, I would really like to close out with a personal story that we had.
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm okay. down to talk about and, that. And I it it's was, funny.
1: So I, uh, I think that it's just a really interesting story and in that it's really engaging. I don't actually think that, you know. And
2: it gives some fire safety tips, too. It gives
1: you some fire safety tips. A little, little prologue. Um, I think that it's probably best if you recount your side of what happened and I recount my side as we kind of progress through the story. Because I don't want to put words in your mouth as to no, what happened. No, that's you found. fair. That's fair. Yeah.
2: Okay. Uh, so I was having Nate over to play some board games. Because that's what I do. and
1: Yeah. I, I love, you know, like this idea that like, you know, we're these people and then we also just like play board games because yeah. we're like regular human beings. I have <laughs> I a, a nerd have life. Fun. Yeah. I try to have life
2: here. Yeah. Can't just focus on magic and occultism because that's a one-sided, yeah. unbalanced yeah, life right there. occasionally just have fun. The mundane is necessary. So yeah, I'm playing board games. But before Nate comes over, I decide to light a candle for uh, some spirits of mine. Um in in a way just because i needed to get it over with i needed to light the candle and i just needed to be done with it so i I lit it and i walked away and it came over and we started playing the board game we were setting it up and all of a sudden my fire alarm goes off Mm -hmm. and there was there was like a four second period there where i like turn over to my altar room door and i'm like looking what why would the fire alarm
1: be going off? I don't understand.
2: This makes no sense to me whatsoever. And I'm
1: thinking like, like, Oh, what a strange thing. You know, the space does feel kind of disturbed, but but other than like the fire alarm, I can't like piece together. Why?
2: And then it dawns on me and I'm like, Oh no, that candle. And I run over to the door and I open up the door and it's the sound. It's that (laughs) sound that I've really never heard before. I didn't really realize House fires sound like that. And it was the light as well, that orange, yellow glowing. I couldn't actually really see the fire, but on all the walls and the ceiling, on the floor, it was flickering everywhere. And the smoke was billowing off the top. And I go over and my whole altar is up in flames. The tablecloth is on fire. I have a cloth... um, tapestry on the wall and that the fire is growing up that and when i opened the door i immediately yelled nate i need help yeah grab some water
1: so it wasn't as immediate as you thought it was <laughs> you struggled with like there was a moment where you're just like you're back there i watch you leave right the door opens i do notice that orange glow of flame but like we're also practitioners and for all I know you've just got 300 candles yeah, back there. Yeah. That's what people do. I've seen people go out and buy those. You know those like those uh, those glass-hold candles that they use in like churches where you'll have like a row and then a new shelf and a row and then a new shelf. And then they like do the prayer candles in like Catholic churches. Oh stuff yeah. Like, that. like I've seen people buy those for their own house. Oh, so that wow. much orange light wasn't yet, you know, like worrying, but like also the, the space has been disturbed. So like, I'm kind of on edge. I'm like, Oh, and, and I don't know if you've got it completely under control. Cause it's a small little issue or if it's like a big issue. So I'm like waiting. Cause it's your home and it's your space. And I'm not going to like, you know, and all of a sudden I just hear you go, Nate, I need help. <laughs> and it was like reluctant. You, you oh, I didn't want to say yeah. it. I, I mean, yeah. I'm a very
2: stubborn person and I hate Ash being for help. It's one of those things I got to let go. Of. But in that moment, I'm so glad I said
1: something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I rush into the room. I won't describe the space because it is your spiritual space. Thank and you. I don't want to expose any of your specifics. I rush into the space. There was a lot oh. of fire, dude. It was not a little bit of fire. It was like. Uh, by the time I got there, that tapestry that you mentioned was basically from floor to ceiling flame. Like it was, it was not like, Oh, we've got a little bit of a situation to deal with. It was like, Oh fuck, here we go. Right. So yeah. you said something like get water.
2: Yeah. Go get water. So yeah. Nate leaves and yeah. I'm like trying to stamp out the fire. So I'm like grabbing the cloth and throwing it down. But as I'm throwing it, I'm throwing it like behind me, which is very stupid of me to do in uh-huh. Uh-huh. But, uh, Nate comes back and I see the water, and when I turn that piece of cloth that I threw behind me was on another altar covering one of my statues, and I was like, "Oh my God, no, not this altar i don't really care about that that altar that's on fire right now. I care about this altar yeah. like what's going yeah. on? no yeah. <laughs> and so I like go over there and I grab it and I put it out and um
1: so I'm running back and forth between the kitchen and you. And basically, what I'm doing at this point is I keep like I, I in your sink. This is very irregular for you. You are an incredibly clean person. Well, oh, thank you. Every time I've gone over to your house, your toilet is freshly cleaned. Your sink looks nice. You, you know, like you keep your space really clean, which is I try to. I notice yeah. you do a good job at it. Yeah. Yeah, it's very welcoming space. I, I think it's There's better for, a for the skin. in the sink and some undone dishes in oh. the sink and i've never seen that in your house before it was a very strange Uh-oh. thing i was aware of it in the moment <laughs> so i push the the pan underneath the sink turn the tap on so that it's just filling i fill a cup and i run a cup to you and then i run back and it, the pot's been filling the whole time and so th- i start running back and forth with like very
2: efficient and, and effective yeah fire we're, just, out we're here. going for it yeah
1: while this is happening at first, it was just, let's deal with the emergency, right? But then we're also like two practitioners in a sacred space. <laughs> and so I go, I, I look at you and I'm like, hey, shoes in the temple or no? <laughs> and you're like, normally, no. And so I took my <laughs> shoes off while we're putting out a fire. As the fire's going everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> totally a thing that we did. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh, once the tapestry was out, uh, the wall was on fire. Yeah, That's well, and then you start I've
2: freaking seen. me out with the the walls on fire and that oh, f- fire. Fires spread between it walls does. and the, into the ceiling and so it
1: can. we needed to check.
2: And Nate's telling me to go check in my attic. Check crawl space
1: for heat. And yeah. and you check the other side of the wall. And the whole time make I'm sure like the inside is not burning. Yeah, Nate, you're no,
2: crazy. In hindsight, I'm not
1: crazy. I had a house fire when I was a kid. <laughs> I knew these things, you know.
2: And hindsight I'm very glad that we did our due diligence yeah. and we checked everywhere so mm-hmm. that I wasn't in the middle of the night burning down my neighbors or my house. Right, right. And, uh, yeah, you've had experience. So out out of everyone that I know, I'm really glad you were the one that was there during that fight.
1: (laughs) I also think that you learn a lot about your friends in an emergency.
2: Oh, just about a person in general. About, about like,
1: who the person is on the inside. Because you don't have time to put up, like, a wall and, like, an emotional thing and, like, oh, I'll just control myself in this way. In an emergency, it's just, like bare soul you know it's just like who is this and so like me and you collaborating in that moment was you know it was it was kind of beautiful in a way obviously it was a terrible situation to have happened you know we don't want like you know it's
2: one of those great trauma bonding moments. it was a trauma
1: bonding that's the phrase that i'm looking for yeah i wasn't (laughs) going to come up with those words but that's it it was a trauma bonding as soon as the house is over we're like You know, uh, all of the flames are out. We're sure that it's not spreading anywhere. We're sure that it's contained. The whole fucking building is full of smoke. Oh, Oh, man. We're, like, coughing a little bit. We're like, oh, man, we should go out and get some fresh air. And then we just ended up smoking a cigarette. It's (laughs) a lot of fresh air to get, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah uh well,
2: <coughs> we're, yeah we're airing out the house and my cat gets out and your we cat had, got out go we
1: went f- on an adventure to try to find your cat because we aired out the house by opening the back door mm-hmm. and the, i don't think we opened the front door we opened the side door
2: the side door but he still got yeah,
1: out cat got out
2: but he came back which yeah, was nice we went and found him. uh
1: the we were worried that he was just gonna run and just before the very end of the night we went looking for him mm-hmm. we walked around the neighborhood a little bit looking for the cat calling for the cat uh go back to the house we're like Okay, I guess tomorrow might be a better time to find the cat. I hope that you find him. And then he comes back that that night, like just before I left. It was like scratching at the door. Scratching at the door. Such a good cat. Such a good yeah.
2: Cat. Um, yeah, and the the statue that I had on my other altar with uh, the fire cloth over it didn't even get touched i was i was so surprised yeah. there was like a burnt ring around the statue mm-hmm. nothing and the, the statue's like made of cloth it's kind of like a doll thing it's weird and my
1: when my house burned down when i was a kid mm-hmm. the only thing that was not damaged by either the water from the fire department or the fire was and I mean, in the whole house, they soak the shit out yeah. of stuff. It was the drawer that I had all of my occult shit in. Oh, beautiful! It's, it's weird how that. It's those house,
2: synchronicity man. moments that really just drive you forward. I think. Yeah, yeah,
1: um,
2: and really make you a believer. Yeah. Um, man, good times. Thanks for helping me.
1: Of put course. Out a fire. I wasn't gonna let you do it on your own. No. Yeah. That would
2: be kind of weird if I was
1: like, "Oh my god, don't friend, tell me." If you were like, <laughs> "Nate, get water," and I was just like. I don't know. I'm going to play this board game. (laughs) Not really a fair guy. (laughs) Yeah. I also like that uh, we, we, I mean, you have the opportunity to, to, I mean, the room was on fire. Okay. You're standing in a room that's on fire. Not, oh, there's some small out. I mean, like you're like in the room and the wall is burning. Mm -hmm. A lot of people, probably for the better for those people, will leave the room, call the fire department. No. And we just put it out. Yeah. You know, we just like boldly went into the danger zone.
2: I couldn't imagine having the fire department come in.
1: (laughs) In that room. In that room. That would have been bad. I was thinking the same thing.
2: (laughs) Like, I've had some landlords come in and check it out. And usually I have stuff like all over, like covering everything. Yeah. But I get the
1: weirdest vibe from people. I just. Well, you've seen my altar back here in my bedroom. Yeah. Um, there's a statue that's prominently displayed on it that uh, would probably make a lot of people uncomfortable um if they didn't know what they were looking at. yeah, you know, and there have been a couple of times where like the landlords have sent somebody out to before resigning the lease to make sure that the property has been taken care of and like every time whoever they send like looks and then, like, looks at me, and then, like, looks back at it, and then they're like, okay, I'm just gonna not take a picture of that. I'll take a picture of the other stuff in the room, you know? It's so funny.
2: No, I think that's your spirits, or wh- whoever you wanna call them, is uh, telling them, get out of here. Yeah, <laughs> get the fuck out of our space. <laughs> Don't take a picture of me, this is private, and leave. Yeah. And so they're getting that vibe, and they're being, you know, kind of.
1: Some of them nice. seemed like they were being respectful. One of them seemed like he was downright afraid. Like he looked at me like, Oh no, are you going to oh are you gonna curse me? No, dude. Oh, this now I'm going to change you in the practice. basement. Go have a good time with your own. I don't fucking care. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad we got that, that story on the podcast because it was one of the more... It was, it was an a good one. interesting mode of mentality to be in where you're actively putting out a burning room
2: But trying to be respectful. But trying to be
1: respectful of the space while doing it. That's ridiculous. And so, like, because I don't want to disturb your altar spaces or anything. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, your statue that you mentioned. I don't want to disturb that. It's not my space to disturb, you know. I don't want to be in here with my shoes on if this is the type of place that you (laughs) usually respect with your shoes on or with your shoes off. And so we're, like, actively putting out a burning building (laughs) And I'm like turning to you, like, is your shoes on or shoes off? <laughs> like, I was so sick, you know, because you're all heightened with the adrenaline, man. Oh. Good
2: times, good times. Yeah.
1: And then and then there was a long time where we didn't talk about it.
2: Well, it was, yeah, because I was, you know, I didn't want to talk about it because, you know, it's kind of awkward and yeah. it's it almost looks bad on me. But now know. I just don't even care. Yeah, fire safety is
1: important with ritual, man. We, it's always important. When, whenever Make sure you're watching have... your candles. Like a public ritual, and there's candles there. We have two fire extinguishers on site at all times. We've like like our group of people have bought fire extinguishers in our fucking mask kit and shit. Yeah,
2: they destroy a whole towns. Fires do. Yeah, yeah. Depending on the town. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's been a. This whole thing is an adventure to me, from beginning to end. The occult world has been crossing avalanche zones and large deserts and uh in bra- you know going out and putting out fires and like there's there i feel like i'm on the greatest adventure on earth well that's why i
2: always think that it's a, a selfish act Well, everything I'm doing is that I'm just so bored in my own life that this is the only excitement that I get. No,
1: I mean, I'm, I'm doing it for a thing, you know, like I'm doing it for a reason and I feel good about that reason. And I do genuinely think that I'm doing good in the world,
2: you know? So what is that reason that you're doing it?
1: Yeah. Great question. Uh, so I, this is only my own personal interpretation. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that, uh, the old systems of control and growth and um structure are outdated and that the individuals deserve their spiritual liberty and so i'm regularly fighting to encourage individuals to find their own spiritual liberty stand up for themselves i will stand up for them and those types of things yeah but that's what it is to me it's a it's a fight against the oppressive old forces the old modalities of thinking and how can i I like that. Engage in the liberty of others. In a spiritual sense. Spiritual liberty is terrifying. Like, liberty against, like, a, like a, I don't know, like a government or something, that's scary enough, right? But, like, liberty against old spiritual modalities, that's that's hard to come to, you Mm -hmm. know? So, I hope that my effect on the universe has been one of liberating others.
2: Yeah. Um, It makes me think of this idea, you know you know when you die you go yeah. back to god and god's like what's up that's how he's, he's a dude bro yeah. he's like oh what's up he's like what's He's up? like a surfer bro and you're like hey god that was a cool life yeah and he's like so what'd you learn or he or she or they or, yeah, it or, or, or it whatever. god god's yeah. like yeah,
1: yeah whatever the thing is
2: so what'd you learn and you're like this and that and he's like cool here's a margarita
1: Yeah, you're ready to go around again. And
2: you're you're like, no, I'm just going to chill around the spiritual celestial pool here with you and drink my martini or my margarita and chill out. Then you kind of get bored and then you go back and you have this another life. You're like, hey, I want to do this and this. And God's like, okay, what about that? And we can maybe throw in that cherry, too. Or maybe you want to meet this person. And then, all right, bam, you're born. Um. And so, why is God doing that? I don't know. From my perspective, I think—and this is just me thinking about God in a very human way—is
1: um, that He's kind of bored Himself. You know,
2: mm. you know everything; you can
1: do anything. It would suck. It would suck to know and like fully comprehend all of the things. Yeah. Which is funny, because I strive more than anything else. I strive for myself to understand things. Mm-hmm. It's one of the big motivating factors. Yeah, drives
2: it drives us. And it drives me a too. Lot.
1: Yeah. Um But if you truly understood everything, it would just be like
2: But the, so God created us yeah. and gave us free will uh-huh. so that he wouldn't really know what's going on. Oh okay. Maybe. That's the interpretation? Yeah. It's just, Not my, a bad interpretation. it's just my interpretation. Yeah. And so we're having these all these experiences and going back to God and God's like, Oh wow, that's pretty cool. I would never have thought of that. Mm-hmm. But you know 2000 years ago is pretty limited on the amount of experiences that we got to have as a human beings. I
1: heard a really funny comedy uh, bit that this guy was doing on the idea that uh, God's feeling the same things that we're feeling about AI. Mm. like like we accidentally built something smarter than us it's like better at you know coming up with new ideas than we are yeah and so we're all fucking worried about like oh no what is it gonna do and then like you know you die and you get to god and god's like god's like you guys are brilliant how did you guys come up with that and they're like yeah there was a lot of problems There was like like you made some of us one color and some of us another color And, and we were like warring for like why did you do that and he's like I mean, honestly, uh, the oceans were really big, and I didn't really think you guys were gonna make boats. That so was kind of cool <laughs> that you guys thought of that. You know, I, I loved that like idea of.
2: Well, I mean, know, it's that idea that we create new things that yeah, God can like experience. Inventive. Yeah, and so now new we're at too. this stage of life in Mm -hmm. humanity's experience where we have 7 billion of us everywhere and each 8 billion now 8 billion of us and each one of us is having this unique experience that's not really attached to a cultural group or a civilization group anymore Mm -hmm. it's really these individual lives that we're living that are new and unique um and now that we add spirituality into this and all these different branches of spirituality that are happening um and so god must just be like having this information overload with all this new experience that's happening. Yeah. Just an idea that pressed no, my mind.
1: No, I think, I think that
2: that's a, it's a potential. Probably not. I don't know. The way it happens I at struggle, all. I struggle,
1: I struggle with two things regularly. And I also find myself going through cycles where I'm more prone to one thing or the other. And I'm very aware of those cycles. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them is, Is like the definition of that which is beyond us. I struggle so much with defining it because I will constantly vibrate in between different ideas, whether like uh, whether it's God or the divine, or like a group of entities, or one specific thing, or uh, you know, uh, the idea of the divine being like masculine or feminine, or you know, like those those types of thing. I'm constantly all over the spectrum. The answer is I don't know.
2: Yeah, none of us do. I think that's the beauty God. of God right there.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so you could you could define it as God or you could define it as God. So you could define it as, like, I don't know, all that you don't know. I don't know. I don't know how to define that thing. And I constantly, and every time I think I have it defined, I got it in a box and I'm like, oh, it's in the box. I finally found a word for it. And and it just breaks out of the box and then laughs in my face. <laughs> you know, it's like, ha, you thought you had me. I'm like, No, I I didn't. So like I think that's, that's one thing that I constantly find myself with.
2: I think that's the definition of God though, is that as soon oh, okay. as you define it and you, you put it and you put it into a box, yeah. it's not God anymore.
1: Okay. It's
2: lesser than God. Yeah. And so that's a, kind of what happens with all these other gods that are out there, whether it be Thor or Mars or Zeus, yeah. is that it's humanity trying to box one aspect of God. And that's what it's doing. It's this specific current of the universe that God created. that now we Man, need Man, that's an
1: assumption too, though. And I vibrate back and forth on that one. Oh, that de- Sometimes I am a creationist, and other times I am not. Really? I'm, yeah. No, mm-hmm. it's interesting. Like, uh, like, is this just the state of the universe and an emergent property of... The universe or multiverse is that consciousness exists, and thus some group and/or individual thing out there has, you know, achieved that thing, right? It, or is it like, you know, like a like one particular or a group created like me and the I vibrate between them so much, and I don't think that I need to ever have that one fully pinned out because I'm not sure. Maybe and, I will. Maybe that's, what, maybe that's what I'm saving for when I'm 90. And I've explored spirituality as much as I will get an opportunity to. And I'm like, dude, you're dying next week. You better start thinking about something like this. But then you pin it down,
2: and then you die, and you, you're completely Maybe wrong. that's
1: what the death is. You know, it's yeah. The moment you get it pinned down, you're like, all right, you figure it out. And later. You're done. You know? I don't know. I like that, yeah. I don't know. Who am open though? to it. Who does, though? Yeah. Anybody that tells you that they have it all figured out is either lying or selling you something. I think that's very true.
2: I got some snake oil for you.
1: Oh, you do? Mm-hmm. Does it work? Uh, yeah. It Will it solve all of my problems? Bring you back and... some hair? Oh,
0: my god. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> oh my god! We're doing the podcast,
1: so can you can't take that moment from me. <laughs> oh,
2: good times, good times, good times.
1: All right, man. Well, uh, is there anything that you want to add before we close out? You feel like you got a chance no, to speak not really. your no, thing? Yeah. Anything else you want to ask me? No, I think we I think we touched on the big ones. You know, the ones that I wanted on 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 the recording. I'm sure we'll hang out and talk about other stuff later. But
2: for sure, yeah. yeah. Um, this was fun. Um,
1: I'm glad I'm glad that you enjoyed it. You know, I want to bring on as many different people that have different perspectives. And so, you know, like if you know people that are interested in sitting down and having these kind of conversations. Uh, let me know. Yeah.
2: I'll ask around. Very cool. Um, Because I like what you're doing. I think it's important to have a lot of different ideas and philosophies out there, especially in one consolidated podcast.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's that's what I really... I want to make sure that it's not a podcast about my own tradition and that it's a podcast on all of these potential things that are all united by something. And so I hope that it's beneficial to people, challenging to people you know that like it'll it'll challenge them emotionally psychologically and uh hopefully be a benefit
2: yeah them. maybe some elevation will come out of that challenge that we'll struggle i hope
1: all right man well um thank you for coming on the uh podcast film it's thank you a pleasure. for having me and uh to everybody else that's listening um definitely keep uh keep trying and good luck Thanks for listening to the Whitewood Podcast. This show is made possible by our Patreon members. You can find us on Twitter at Whitewood Show and on Facebook at Whitewood Podcast. For links to all our social media and information about our Patreon, visit us at whitewoodpodcast.com.